They were building a new airport in Lansapine, and we'd have these power failures, but I began to notice that they would do it on purpose, and when they'd have the power failure, I'd get my flashlight, and they were moving tanks and all this military stuff. You could see it from my place easily into the new airport area. So I was just fascinated by this, and then I'm like, it's like some kind of military buildup thing here. Something is happening. Then Miss Ann was telling me that there really might be a revolution. She was going to meetings, and I sent her a tape recorder to record some of these things. So the New Jewel Movement, the People's Revolutionary Army stuff, all these things are going on. So she's recording it. So I'm like bringing it back and writing down some of these things, and I'm sending these letters to my lawyer friend, Stephen Jones. I'm telling him, listen, there's going to be a revolution over here. Welcome to Heroes Behind Headlines. I'm your host, Ralph Pizzullo. Our guest today is Dr. Cynthia Mackey, an unlikely hero. She was a young woman of the 1970s who had to overcome some very unusual challenges in order to realize her dream of becoming a physician. The 70s was a time when the role of women in our society was changing. It was a time when women comprised only 10% of all practicing physicians. Cynthia's first husband didn't want her to work. He claimed he was making plenty of money flying cocaine for Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar. Cynthia, then a young mother, wanted him to quit. After he was murdered, her situation became even more difficult. A top student in science, she was determined to pursue her dream and was eventually accepted into medical school on the island of Grenada. What she didn't know was that the beautiful island paradise of Grenada would soon experience a communist revolution and Cynthia would be accused of being a CIA spy and barely escape alive. I'm happy to say that today, Cynthia is an emergency medical physician in Lancaster, California. She's with us to tell us about the unusual path she took to getting there and the unexpected challenges she had to overcome. It's my great honor to welcome Dr. Cynthia Mackey as today's Hero Behind the Headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines with Ralph Pizzullo. I grew up in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. uh, My mother was a medical secretary. My father was a police officer. And um, I was born in Texas uh, during a power failure. And (laughs) 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 so I guess that's what's wrong with me. (laughs) I went uh-huh. to uh, medical school in Tulsa. Uh-huh. I'm living in California right now, and I've been here okay. for about 25 years. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how you met your, your husband. Okay. I think I was in the eighth grade, and I think it was at a football game. Mm-hmm. He was in high school. He was a couple of years older than me. Mm-hmm. So actually, he's the first boyfriend I ever really had. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of one of those little small towns romance stories, even though it's not really a small town from Oklahoma City. Yeah. And he was, what was he like? Um, he was a track, mm-hmm. track and field person. Um, I don't think he was like huge in academics. I remember I used to do his homework so that <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that we have more time to spend together. I know that's not a very nice thing to say. Yeah. When did you become aware that he was involved in drug dealing? Should we, should we call it? Well, we can call it that. Yeah. He pretty much told me. Uh, his, his best friend, Curtis Odom, uh, had an airplane, and um, he was always fascinated by planes, and Curtis was teaching him how to fly. And suddenly, they were telling me that they were doing this little on-the-side business thing where they were flying cocaine out of Columbia into the panhandle. Yeah. And that everybody was watching them and that, you know, it was uh, fine. It was going to be all this extra money and nobody was going to get hurt. And about how old was he when he started doing this and what what approximate year? 
Oh, this would have been late 1970 or early 71. Okay. And he was like 22. Yeah. What was his name? His name was Don Nye Jr. Don Nye Jr. And so he had a friend who had a plane. Yes. And he said, we're starting to fly down to Columbia. Yes. And bring drugs up to the cocaine up to the Florida panhandle. Well, it took him a little while before he admitted exactly what it was. But yes. And uh, I was like, you can get in trouble. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, uh, you can't be, this is like drug dealing. He said, oh, no, it's, it's not drug dealing. It's just cocaine. It's, it's something rich people do. Yeah. And you can't get hurt. It's not like heroin or anything. And he said, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. And it's just, it's like rich people do that instead of drinking champagne. Now. Okay. You know? <laughs> How often was he doing this? A couple of times. Uh, I mean, he probably be gone for like a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like take off different days. And I think Curtis was doing it more than he was. Okay. His friend didn't always go. Yeah. But I told him, I talked to my my father, who was a homicide detective. Yeah. And he and his partner, Bob Macy, who ended up being a, a famous uh, district attorney later, you probably heard of him. Anyway, they said, you know, there's this new thing called a cartel. Yeah. And uh, I'd never heard of it. And I don't think anybody had at the time. Yeah. So it's really bad. Right. And it's organized. It's like a mafia kind of thing. Right. And you you tell him he has to stop doing that. You know, you've got a daughter. Yeah. So I did. I told him, I said, this is bad. You've got to stop doing it. Yeah. I see myself maybe being a doctor someday. And, you know, my dad's a cop. Yeah. And you stop this or I'm going to divorce you. Right. So you were married already. You were married at this point. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yeah. Yep. And you had a little girl. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got out of high school when I was 15. I'm 16. Mm -hmm. And uh, my stepfather was afraid that we were too serious and maybe break up with Don. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I researched it and found out if I could get pregnant, that we didn't need their permission to get married. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I, you know, I figured the whole thing out. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so you figured so, yeah, it out. I graduated, I graduated from high school when I was 15. Okay. They okay. used to just skip you up if you got on your teacher's nerves. They didn't have special yeah. classes for the gifted or talented or anything like that. So they just skip up and make you somebody else's problem. So you you had a daughter. Yes. You're married to Don. And he's, yes, he he's flying drugs. He's admitted. He finally admitted it. At first, I didn't really understand. I don't remember. If something about art or... And it was all bullshit, of course. Yeah. Uh, and finally, it was like, well, it's cocaine. It's not heroin. It's not going to hurt anybody. Nobody ever, yeah. nobody ever dies or gets hurt on cocaine. That's what he said. He said they put it up their nose and they go to parties and it's expensive. Yeah. And he's bringing home lots of money. Lots of money. Yeah. Yes. In cash or yes. In cash. And he would not stop doing it, and I divorced. Him. Uh -huh. And it, and he was really upset about it. And so I moved to Dallas. My, I had a cousin that uh, had moved to Dallas, cousin Shirley. So I took my daughter and moved to Dallas. How many years uh, later was that? Well, that was in 72, right after I divorced him. So just a year? No, I was actually married to him for two years. Okay. Let's see. Okay. I think okay. Uh, okay. I married I married Don in 1970. And, uh, okay. Yeah. And then I divorced him in 1972. Yeah. I, I've got down over here okay oh, been a while yeah <laughs> yeah sure so his lifestyle and your lifestyle are changing before the divorce like suddenly there's a lot of money around is his behavior changing no really it's not not that much it's just he's gone you know and he's doing that thing and i i mean i didn't really even know any of the details he said i, I was better off not knowing okay did he ever mention Pablo Escobar or any of these? Yes. He did mention that he was a big deal and that was the big boss. And he said he had never met him. Okay. Just because he hadn't met him then doesn't mean he didn't meet him later. I really just never knew any of the details except that they flew into the panhandle and supposedly nobody was watching. Interesting. He really didn't think that anybody was going to seize anything or if there was any problem. And I think he was flying that plane without even, I don't know if he ever even got his license. He was working on it. Curtis was teaching him how to fly. And you don't even know what kind of plane it was. It was just a small plane. Something was to tell me it was a beach crab. Okay. But, but then uh, I said something uh, to Rick Guerin, a friend of mine that knew about this. He's since deceased. And he said he thought it, that it was a Cessna. But okay. 
They could have changed and upgraded. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was Curtis that I was playing. Okay. And then what happened? So you divorce him. You moved to Dallas, you said. I did. I moved to Dallas. And uh, I did. I wanted to keep him completely away from, from yeah. Angie. And, of course, uh, he took me to court and said I couldn't do that. And so I, I had to move back to Oklahoma City so that he could see her. And he's still flying drugs. He doesn't stop. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And he doesn't stop. And now he's got a fancy car and he's got a fancy new girlfriend. And, you know, I don't like my daughter being over there, but there's nothing I can do about it. And it's parties and Coke comes in. No, no, I don't know that he was doing that. I don't think he was actually partying around her. I think he just had the money. Okay. And he had told me that he didn't partake or do anything in the, People got in trouble if they used drugs, and he was never going to get in trouble because he didn't use them. Just flying them. He was just a transport guy. Mm -hmm. Just a transport guy. I really don't think he was using drugs. I mean, I I don't know for sure. Well, I kind of do because um, when he got murdered later, and that was in 1975 because I just looked at the death certificate, on the autopsy report, Apparently, he had one needle track mark between his toes, and it was heroin. Oh, wow. I I knew it was murder. And at first, I listed his death as, what was it called, suspicious or or undetermined. Yeah. And later, they called it uh, accidental IV narcoticism. It wasn't just polyester clothes, big hair, and disco music that defined U.S. culture in the 1970s. It was also public attitudes towards drugs. In 1977, Dr. Peter Bourne, who was President Jimmy Carter's top anti-drug official, said, and I quote, cocaine is probably the most benign of drugs. At least as strong a case could be made for legalizing it as for legalizing marijuana. At first, No one really understood how dangerous and addictive drugs like cocaine could be. A story in Newsweek claimed, quote, cocaine probably causes no significant mental or physical damage, and a number of researchers have concluded that it can be safer than liquor and cigarettes when used discriminately. In 1967, only 22 kilos of cocaine were confiscated in the U.S. by government agents. By 1970, 10.5 kilos were confiscated in one week alone. Then in 1980, comedian Richard Pryor caught fire and almost died while smoking crack cocaine. And two years later, John Bellucci died of a combination of cocaine and heroin known as a speedball and other high-profile entertainers and athletes died of cocaine overdoses or admitted it had wrecked their careers, and public perceptions of cocaine and other drugs began to change. But like I said, my dad was a homicide detective, and he said, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. He wasn't a user because he only had one needle mark. Right. Obviously, it was murder, but nobody was going to investigate it because it's cartel stuff and, you know, they didn't want to be involved. Yeah. So how did you find out that he was murdered? Well, I found out he was dead. Yeah. And uh, I got a call, yes, from his mother that Don was dead. Okay. And uh, they didn't know what had happened. Yeah. And there would be an autopsy. Yeah. Where did this take place? At his house in Oklahoma City. Oh, wow. hmm So somebody broke into his house or... Well, no, it didn't look like anybody broke in at all. So probably something he knew. Okay. And so he just disappears. There's no real investigation. No real investigation. And what about Curtis? What happens to Curtis? I heard Curtis is dead now, but I know he went to jail. Okay. Uh, at some time. When I was an ER resident in Oklahoma City, uh, I heard through the grapevine that Curtis was in jail, some kind of a drug charge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, later on in life, uh, at some reunion or somewhere, when I ran into somebody I hadn't seen for 20 years or so, somebody told me that he was dead. So I don't have any idea how how that happened. Yeah, you get into that business, your life expectancy 
isn't good. <laughs> I heard through the grapevine. Now I don't. I can't even tell you who. I think. I think it. Well, I didn't want to say it. Yeah. Okay, because I wasn't supposed to tell. Yeah. Told me that he heard that some money went missing. Uh huh. Uh, during during some some of this trouble, and that apparently Curtis and Don felt like they were double crossed by somebody and got robbed. Yeah. And I don't know if they took drugs, money. I'm not sure. Why else would they right. kill him? Wow. And, and made it look like he was trying to hide it because it, yeah. I'm like, why would somebody do that between their toes? They said, well, that's yeah. a, a thing to make it look like he did it. Maybe it's just like he, you know, did it himself. He probably didn't. Right. Because no other track marks anywhere. No, of course not. Yeah. yeah. A strange place. Yeah, absolutely. And just one. Mm-hmm. One mark. Yeah, that's weird. Yes. Yeah. Very weird. So this must have been difficult for you because you have a daughter together. Yes. And your daughter was close to Don? She did love him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And she didn't know what was going on, of course, except for we were divorced and daddy had a new girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. And so what do you tell her? I mean, how how does that, how do you handle that? You know, I, it's really hard. It's really hard. And we just said he had a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. She knows now, of course. Yeah. About, um, yeah. 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 What are you going to tell a three-year-old child? I know. I know that's rough. Four, well, yeah. 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 So just that he had a heart attack. So. Yeah. And she went to the funeral and all that. And. Yes. Yeah. That must have been very sad. It was very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. And he's a young guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was like 23 when he died. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Very young. Died in. In 75. In 75. Okay, yeah. so. Look at the, the death certificate. Yeah. So that must have been rough for you as well. It was. That's when I decided, you know, I need to definitely finish up, get my college degree. I want to yeah. think I'll be a doctor. And, you know, it's, uh, I wanted to do something that I was modeling part time and and things like that. Not something that was a very good, stable income to, to raise a child on your own. Yeah. I uh, get social security uh, death benefits for her. So it's kind of a, a little bit of child support to help. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's when I started getting serious about knowing that I needed to have a career. Yeah. Like, yeah. A girl to take care of. And I was 19 years old. Yeah. Wow. And did he leave anything for her? Nope. Not really. Yeah. No, I mean, nothing to speak of. Right. Right. He did right. wherever he had his money. It, it ended up showing up. A lot later. And that's yeah. a whole nother story. <laughs> okay. We'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. So, okay. So now you're 19 years old. You've got a three-year-old daughter. Your ex-husband is dead under mysterious circumstances. So you've got to pull yourself together. Yes. Yeah. And you do. I did. I was going to college during the day, night school at night. And I got my uh, paramedic undergraduate uh, little two-year degree. So I worked as a paramedic at night mm-hmm. and went to college during the day. I had gotten a scholarship in physics when I was married, but my husband made me drop out because he said no woman in his family was ever going to work. It was back in those kind of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Macho stuff. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know what physics was, but they gave me a scholarship. <laughs> they said, oh, it's math and science kind of put together. I said, oh, I'm good at those things. They're like, we know. That's why we're offering you. That's <laughs> Right. <laughs> we don't just give these out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a special grant that they had uh, for women in, in physics, women in science. So all everybody in my class was a woman. Uh huh. It wasn't very many of us, but I loved it. I hated the fact I had to quit. Yeah. So now you're you're working as a paramedic. Uh huh. And you're going to class. And, yes. Okay. And you're you're leading to a a medical career. You want to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. You end up in Grenada, of all places. So (laughs) how does that happen? Well, um, my roommate introduced me to uh, Steve Mackey. Uh, He was a lawyer. He he was a brand new lawyer. And we hit it off, and we ended up getting married. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm still going to college. I married Steve Mackey. And uh, he's um, he's a Army Reserves, I guess it was what it was. And uh, mm-hmm. he had an obligation. So he got stationed at Fort Bragg. And he got stationed with a 5th Special Forces unit. And he wanted to be full flash, even though he was JAG. Yeah. 
So he was going and doing all these training things that most lawyers that are attached to the army don't do, but he, you know, he didn't want to be some pansy. So he was yeah, all, yeah. Of, all of a sudden I'm in Fort Bragg. So I had to, tr- I transferred to Duke university from okay. State okay. in Oklahoma. So I could finish up my degree there, my undergraduate degree. Yeah. So then I end up pregnant with my son, Jason. Okay. And I know this sounds really strange, but Don and I, I mean, Gosh, not Don. Steve and I were not getting along that well because he wasn't too crazy about me going to college and he thought I should quit. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been road before. <laughs> I'm not going to quit. Yeah. So I'm like, no, I don't want to have a baby. Yeah. I I don't know if things are going to work out. And so he sent me to his colonel friend who was a doctor. And they at that time told me that I've been on birth control pills too long. I needed to take a break. So we were like doing the old condom thing. And he yeah. actually put holes in the condoms and got me pregnant against my will. I know usually it's the woman that does yeah, it. Yeah. He did that to me. Oh, my God. I thought I had the flu. Yeah. I was pregnant with my son, Jason. Wow. And this is while you're at? That's while I'm in, in North Carolina. North Carolina. And you're yes. going to Duke. Yes, I'm going to Duke. And I'm commuting from Fayetteville up to Durham, yeah. which is a long drive. Really long and, drive. And I'm yeah. pregnant. Yeah. So I had Jason. I I thought about getting an abortion, but you know I'm Catholic, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no way. So uh, anyway, after I had Jason at two weeks, I'm like, here you go, Steve, take some time off uh, because they're not going to take him at the babysitters or or the nursery until he's six weeks old. So you're gonna have to take some time off because I got to get back up there because I'm not quitting school. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. So then I wanted to go to medical school and he decided that, of course, I shouldn't do that. And he wasn't going to pay for me to get a, get to go to my interview that I had gotten. Yeah. So um, I had Stephen Jones, a friend of mine that's a lawyer. I think he I mentioned him before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, the one that represented Timothy McFay. So a lot of people know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I called him. He's my friend. He was engaged to my roommate that I used to model with. Stephen Jones is an American attorney known for his participation in a series of high-profile civil rights cases, beginning with his defense of a Vietnam War protester who was arrested in 1970 for carrying a Viet Cong flag. He later went on to represent the radical yippie Abby Hoffman when Oklahoma State University refused to let him speak on their campus and Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh. Uh, I said, my husband won't pay for my ticket. I got an interview, and uh, I just don't have the money. Could you loan it to me? Cynthia, you've done review cases on medical malpractice for me. I will buy you a ticket. It's my pleasure. Yeah. And um, (laughs) all of a sudden, I just told my husband that my mother did. He said, she's got the money for that, to buy you a first-class ticket? Yeah. I was like... Well, of course, it, of course, that was the only thing that was left. And I yeah. told the Jones, said, why'd you buy me a first class ticket? Yeah. I bought this ticket on my mother. He said, because you deserve that. He said, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to cause you a problem. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that's how I went to my interview. Okay. And your interview was where? In Tulsa. Okay. <laughs> and see, he'd gotten a job there. He was getting out of the military and he'd gotten a job at a, at a law firm there. Steve. Your husband, okay. My husband, Steve Mackey. So that's the only place I applied because they had a medical school there. Ah, I see. Okay. So Oral Roberts was there, and I wasn't going to apply to Oral Roberts. So okay. that's, that's where I got in medical school. Okay, so now you're in back in Oklahoma. You're in medical school. You have two children now, and you're married to Steve, Steve Mackey. Mackey, and it, it's not going so well. It's not going very well. He's not yeah. happy about medical school at all. He doesn't want you to become a doctor. No, he doesn't. Really? No. No, these wow. are different times. Yeah, that's right. They that's really right. were. I thought, man, I had one die on me and you know <laughs> all this. I'm right. like, you know, I I want this for myself. I can't depend on these guys. No. One one's died already. Who knows what happens exactly. with this guy? Exactly. Well, and he's off. Running around with special forces and so on. Well, he was back in the middle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's yeah. kind of macho. You don't, my wife doesn't need to work. I don't really have okay. for this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He was not supportive at all. So we end up 
getting a divorce. Well, he takes right before uh, the midterm, uh, and I have a class called anatomy. It's my first semester. It's, it's one of the first semester classes in medical school. Yeah. And a particular class, we only had a midterm and a final. So he said he left me a note. He took the kids. This is right in the middle of us getting a divorce. Yeah. And I didn't know where they were, so I missed my midterm. Oh, gosh. And uh, the tenured professor just wasn't nice. He wouldn't give me a makeup final. So mm-hmm. I ended up doing very, very well in the final. And part one national boards, I scored very highly. So the school decided that it was not very reasonable that, that Dr. Taylor wouldn't let me make up that one test. So they decided I passed that anatomy class and wouldn't have to, to make it up or get behind in school. Right. Because of that, it was just kind of, he was just the stickler and he was not going to let me make up that test. Yeah. And he had to agree and he wouldn't. Wow. So it, it was a strange time. I was in one of those experimental three-year medical schools. They decided they had us, we had longer days. We worked straight through the summer, no breaks. Um, but it's the last year of it. We had, our suicide rate was way, way up, like 20% higher than the normal medical school. <laughs> So it was just too much of a grind. So it was too much of a burden to to try to do it in three years. They decided. Yeah. So that was the last of the three years. Okay. School. Okay. So what happened was I was a senior medical student and getting ready to graduate. I'm divorced now. Yeah. And how old are you at this point? What year are we now? Like. Well, I graduated from medical school. I think in eighty four. I think so. I'm like twenty or something like okay. that. I, I could figure it yeah. out, but something like that. Still in your 20s. So, yeah. Yes, yes, still in my 20s. So I'm a senior medical student, and suddenly, before I'm going to match and do my internship, somebody else at the medical school I went to who was not a good student, who was failing in multiple courses, yeah. found out that I was able to pass anatomy even though I have officially failed because I did so well on the national boards. Right. He challenged the school and said, well, Cynthia Mack is a pretty girl. And I want to take national boards and not be flunked out of school. Uh-huh. And they decided that they didn't want to set a precedent like that. So they allowed me to find a place to retake that anatomy class. Yeah. The only place in the English speaking world that they offered that class in the summer or during the right time was in Grenada. So they approved it. So I had pre-approval that that would transfer back. Oh my God. So I thought, so I thought, I researched, I found this place. <laughs> Did you even know where Grenada was? No. Yeah, yeah. No. Who'd ever heard of it? Yeah. No. On this yeah, beautiful yeah. island. Now he wasn't going to let me take Jason. So I took my, my daughter who was 12 then. Yeah. She was, we're going to have a great time. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll put you in school over there. And I'm good at anatomy because with all the trouble, I studied that more than anything else. So right. It's going to be a breeze. It's going to be a breeze. So it'll be like a vacation. Yes, it's going to be like. But you have to finish this one class. And the only place that's available is in Grenada. Yeah, otherwise, I have to wait. If I'm going to do it in the U.S., I have to wait all another semester. Yeah. So they approve for me. To, so when I get there, I'm kind of famous because they thought it was cool that somebody that was already in a u.s medical school was getting to yeah. take credit from their school actually it's one of the best foreign medical schools it, it, re- it really yeah. is yeah and uh so they yeah. they started yeah. calling me miss oklahoma and it's so funny i could not get rid of that name i was from oklahoma <laughs> so you you yes. land in grenada yes. you've yes. divorced your husband at this point Yes. You've got your daughter with you. Yes. And your son is with your ex-husband? We're doing the joint custody thing. And he, yeah, he was not going to let him come to Grenada. And that's understandable. He, he was a very good father to us. Okay. Not so much to Angie, but. Okay. Yeah. No, it's not his daughter. and It's not his daughter. Exactly. Grenada is an island country in the Caribbean, consisting of 348 square miles and located northwest of Trinidad and Tobago and northeast of Venezuela. As of July 2021, it had a population of 124,500. Known as the Island of Spice due to its production of nutmeg and mace, it was originally populated with indigenous Arawak people until explorer Christopher Columbus sighted the island in 1498 during his third voyage. A former French and British colony 
Grenada was granted independence in February 1974. So we get to Grenada and uh, I enroll Angie in uh, Westmoreland. It's a private school. Uh, I want to put her in the public school, uh, you know, but they didn't have room for her in the seventh grade. So they said, but we could put her in the ninth grade and, you know, yeah, she does. <laughs> so I, I put her in Westmoreland School. It's run by some British people. I mean, the prime minister's yeah. kids were going there. I mean, it was the place to go. Yeah, it's a tiny place, right? Like the population of the whole island. Oh, Country yeah. I mean, like it's a tiny place. So I'm wondering, like, she's like, Mom, yeah. make it because of the ninth grade. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, you know. It's only for the summer, right? I'm like, you know, it's just, yeah. Yeah. One semester. Do the best. Just yeah. do the best yeah. you can. And as it turns out, uh, one of the female medical students' husband was a, a professor. I think it was mathematics or something. Uh, he had a PhD and he was just there. So he he volunteered for a dollar a session to tutor Angie. He tutored her in Latin and French and mathematics. Wow. She's, of course, my daughter's like, oh, mom, this is horrible. <laughs> now, now I'm really having to try to keep up. Right, right, right. <laughs> said, it's not fair. I want to go to the public school. Right, know? right, right. But so, what an experience. Course, what, a, what an opportunity. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's how I ended up over there and how she ended up in the private school. Yeah. And um, then uh, it was kind of, but we were still taking buses because that's all the money I had. It was expensive to go to the private school and I had the tuition and you had to live there. Yeah. I was living off campus. They have, a, they have three semesters that the medical students do on that island. Mm-hmm. Semester one, two, and semester four. Mm-hmm. For their third semester in that medical school, they send them to St. Vincent's Island. It's another island there in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. So, and I guess they had two campuses there. And if you were a first or second semester med student, you had to live at True Blue Campus, like a dorm thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you were fourth year, you could live off campus. You could, you know, private housing if you wanted to. So I got to do whatever I wanted. So I rented a, a duplex in Lansapine off campus. And my neighbors around me that were medical students were all fourth fourth semester. Okay. So I had a little house. My daughter's in the private school. Um, so kind of idyllic. It was like I was living a life, except I, I really didn't have any money. Yeah, yeah. And about that time, I was at the Crab. That was the local British med school, school place. Some Brits owned it. We'd go down there and drink beers and wine, shoot darts. Yeah. So I met this guy. He was from he was third semester from St. Vincent's. He walked up to me, goes, I heard you're, you're Miss Oklahoma, right? And I said, <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> he said, well, listen, I got this opportunity for you. He said, mm-hmm. I've been changing money on campus uh, for the students. You know how you have to go in town to, to change your, your U.S. Yeah. currency into E.C.? Because you had to pay for it in E.C. You couldn't say, here's a couple of dollars. It was like totally illegal. Which is the, the island currency. So he said that I, I used to do the money exchange for everybody here. He said, so they didn't have to go into town. He said, uh, I have a connection, a businessman downtown, and um, he likes to collect U.S. dollars. And then you get to keep some profit and that people don't have to go downtown to Barclays to change their money. He said, I, I did pretty well. I'm like, why are you coming to me with this? I mean, don't you have friends here? Yeah. He said, well, I do, but most of my friends are in St. Vincent's. And he said, I heard that you only have one class, and I just thought you might have time. And and the business guy I was doing this with really wanted me to ask somebody, see if I could hook him up. He said, yeah. I came to you. Yeah. And I said, gosh, I don't know. I could use the extra money. I sure would like to rent a car so that yeah. I would have to take a bus all the way to her school. Right. So I met with, I'm going to call him Mr. Lewis, because I don't. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. The reason is he was a uh, he was there on the island for a long time. He had a department store. Yeah. It was illegal to send to collect U.S. money, or you couldn't change your East Caribbean currency if you were a Grenadian citizen mm. in dollars because they wanted you to have to stay there. Yeah. This is you know complicated politics. You know, it's like that yeah pro communist regime. Yeah, because Grenada had become, just become a free country, right? And I think, what is it, the, I, I wrote down the year 79. Yes. 
Yeah, and Eric Gary was the was, was the yeah. new the new jewel yeah. movement. Yeah, it was like a yes, Marxist it was. movement. Yeah, aligned with Cuba. Yeah, and then he ended up getting killed on I guess some kind of they talked about a lot Bloody Sunday. The new joint endeavor for welfare, education, and liberation, or New Jewel Movement, NJM, was a Marxist-Leninist vanguard party on the island of Grenada, led by a young lawyer named Maurice Bishop. The movement took control of the country with a successful bloodless revolution in 1979 and ruled by decree as the People's Revolutionary Government until 1983, when Bishop was killed by paramilitaries affiliated with hardliners in his own party. This led to a military government closely aligned with Cuba, which was deposed during the U.S. military invasion of the island in October 1983. Anyway, on this bloody Sunday, something happened to Mr. Lewis's brother. Anyway, he got out of the country. That They nationalized a lot of companies, I guess. And, yeah, that's right. And Mr. Lewis was afraid that if, if something was going to happen again, he, he really thought that there was a revolution in the works, yeah. which of course there was. Yeah. Uh, and he was afraid that his company might get nationalized if... if uh, Maurice Bishop went out of power, so he was trying to collect money, and he would send it to Barbados, where his brother was, uh-huh. so that if the revolution happened, and if they nationalized his company, that he wouldn't have to start all over. Right, right, right. He'd have a nest egg in Barbados. Yeah. Yeah. He'd have a nest egg somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, it worked out well for me, because, you know, I, I got to rent a car. Yeah. All of a sudden, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> now I'm living on an island. The most popular person in, in the in the community. And I always paid. Any students that went out with me, I'm like, oh no, let me get your yeah. I'll get your dinner. <laughs> right. I'll get your drinks. Right, right, right. So I mean I was I was having a great life there. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't have to study very hard because I already knew it very well. I was like kind of helping out in the lab. Right, right. Everybody's coming to you to change their dollars Money. into the local yes. currency. And yes. then you're Taking the dollars and sending them to Mr. Lewis, yes, who is sending them to, Bar- to, to Barbados. His in Barbados. And- yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Okay. So I was kind of the black market money queen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it was going very well, but I was a little bit bored, so I was a volunteer for the casualty clinic, which is basically what they call their ER. Okay. So I was a senior medical student. And they just let me do it. Sometimes that doctor that lived on a yacht, I think he was from Belgium, mm-hmm. would just get drunk and leave. Wow. And, you know, I'd be in charge. And it was weird. I mean, it's it's uh, the medical system there was not good. Yeah. Uh, but, but so you're not a doctor, but you're like in charge of the of the ER. Yeah. Sometimes I'm left by myself, yeah. unofficially, of course. So probably great experience for you, but... Great experience, a little traumatic. And yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah. And also, I had brought quite a few supplies with me, and just actually in case I needed it or even the students needed it some IV, antibiotics, yeah. things to suture people and stuff. I had been running a little clinic out of the back of my little duplex, mm-hmm. just mostly for students, but my maid, everybody had a maid if you weren't on campus. Yeah. And my maid actually lived, it was a duplex. And all the houses have names down there. I lived in the Maxi Hibiscus. <laughs> There's many Hibiscus and Maxi Hibiscus. It's a duplex. I lived in the big part. Mm-hmm. And right in between it was the maid's quarters. And she came with the house. Yeah. Wow. Her name was Miss Ann Phillips. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh huh. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> very official. Very, yeah. Very British. Very yeah. official. Yeah. And we just called her Miss Ann. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And she like cooked for us, cleaned for us. She watched Angie for me. Yeah. I remember one time she, uh, we had a tree frog that lived in our shower. Angie just, it was like Angie's pet. Yeah. And Miss Angie didn't like it because she said, oh, that frog is pooping and peeing and there's no sanitary. It's not right. It's not right. Yeah. It reminds me of Mammy from Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah. Caleb. Yeah. And one day Angie came home and 
the frog was dead in the shower. It was, it was Aunt Clorox Herman, you know. Yeah. And, and she said, I was just cleaning it. I can't help it if he happened to die. Yeah. You know? <laughs> He happened to get sprayed with Clorox or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 Wow. So we had to have an official funeral and everything. And wow. Anyway, my daughter was trying to tell her what to do. And I said, Angie, you don't tell Miss Ann what to do. She said, yes, I do. She works for me. I said, no, honey. Miss Ann works for me. Yeah. <laughs> and she, you don't. And she doesn't work for you. You have to do what she says, you know. Right. Yeah. Let's get the, the order of uh, uh, authority here. Keep, yes. it, keep it in line. That's yeah. true. So. so you must have had a lot of dramas at the hospital at ER. Yes. With people I know. And in. the people had TB. You can't drink the milk. Some of the cows had TB. I mean, diseases that yeah. I did that I would have to look up. And we didn't have internet or, yeah. or nobody had a yeah. cell phone. or I mean, it was very difficult just to even get medical information and supplies. I mean, the national hospital didn't have good supplies. I started bringing some of my supplies that I was using out of my house, out of the back door, up to the hospital. Yeah, wow. And in the midst of this, there's all this sort of political turmoil well, going on in Grenada. And the reason I knew so much about that was Mr. Lewis <laughs> uh, yeah. was always tell, like to tell me about it, talk about it. He said, you know, that there was um, probably going to be a revolution, that Maurice Bishop might be falling out a favor. And his his relationship with Fidel Castro wasn't going as well. He was seeing himself as as more less imperialist and less pro-Cuban, more. He was getting a little more influenced by the West. All, all these things really didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it was interesting. Right. So we should explain that Maurice Bishop was became the prime minister. After Eric Gary. After Gary. And, and he started making overtures to the west so the the cubans were really trying to run grenada as sort of like their not their colony but their you know under their wing so to speak they had a lot of military advisors yes, there absolutely. and so on and so forth absolutely and I, so i started seeing things where i lived off campus they were building a new airport in lansapine and they would just We'd have these power failures, but I began to notice that they would do it on purpose. And when they'd have the power failure, I'd get my flashlight and they were moving tanks and all this military stuff down, down the road. I, you could see it from my place easily into the new airport area. Yeah. So I was just fascinated by this. And then but like, I'm like, it's like on? some kind yeah. of military buildup thing here. Something is happening. Yeah. And then Miss Ann was telling me that there really might be a revolution. She was going to meetings, and I sent her a tape recorder to record some of these things. Uh -huh. And so they were the people getting rallied. So there, there's it's just all this stuff. I think it was PRG. I, I've got it in my book that I wrote. That they have it. it's so the New Jewel Movement. Yeah, says that the People's Revolutionary Army stuff, and and it's all these things are going on. So she's recording it. So I'm like bringing it back. And writing down some of these things, and I'm sending these letters to my lawyer friend Stephen Jones. I'm telling him, "Listen, there's going to be a revolution over here." <laughs> He's in Oklahoma, He's right? He's in Oklahoma, yeah. and, and I even called him. He said, "Cindy, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, it's fascinating, Steve. Aren't you running for state senate or something like that?" He said, "Yeah. Well, I'm going to get the Republican nomination. I don't think we're going to win." And I said, well, tell somebody what's going on here, you know? Yeah, somebody should be interested yeah, in this. Very, yeah, very, you know. Uh, yeah. It, it's like communist on communist. I don't know. What book did you know? <laughs> right. I said, but it's, it's, you know, I think something's going to happen. Yeah. So that's how uh, I was sending him. I, I was just fascinated by the political situation because right. nobody. And you're just reporting on it. You wanted to tell somebody. I want somebody to know about it. I thought, yeah, you know, yeah. if anybody could do it, I thought Stephen Jones could tell somebody in the government and, and it, right. in case they wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's the only person you knew. Yes. Only person I knew who would yeah. possibly, I mean, my father didn't care. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like probably didn't even know where Grenada was. No. Yeah. People will a lot of times think it was Grenada, which is a right. little island off the coast of Spain. Yeah, yeah. That's right. what I thought when I first heard of it. Right, right. So you're, you're just writing these letters innocently. 
Yes. And then you find out somebody's like intercepting them, right? Well, what, what happened was I got, uh, there was a break-in in my house mm-hmm. and uh, scared me yeah. really bad. Yeah. And they took my passwords, a few things, uh, but it was, somebody it was broke obvious. In? It was, they broke in and I was there. Oh God. Oh, I was God. there. Oh, I can nap. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Remember why everybody else was out and I had stayed behind. I just don't remember. Yeah. I think they might have been studying. Or, you know, I'm the only person who has one class. Right, 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 right. And uh, and it was it was to scare me, and it did. So they inter- they interrogate you, or or no? So finally, after when he left, uh, and then my neighbors from the mini hibiscus and and my roommate came home and everything. Up, uh, you know, I called the police and all this, and uh, they didn't do any kind of investigation at all. Just apparently yeah. took some report and acted like it was nothing. Yeah. So uh, I was pretty scared, yeah, you know, yeah. a bit. It was, you know, I don't even like thinking about it. Yeah. But um, I got a call uh, from the police station a few days later, and they said they had found my passport. Yeah. And I was like, great. In the meantime, after this happened, I sent my daughter home. Yeah. With one of the medical students uh, was actually from Oklahoma. I knew her not that well, Lisa Duckett. And her mother and sister came to visit, and I sent Andrew to my mother's house. I said, Angie, you know, the political situation, we you know, had the break-in, the political yeah. situation's bad. No, actually, Angie was gone before the break-in. Uh-huh. I sent her back because the political situation I thought was getting right. bad. Uh, Mr. Lewis was telling me that maybe we need to be more careful with the money exchange because if if they if I got caught, I probably wouldn't be in trouble. I could just say I didn't know there, there was anything wrong with it, and they didn't want to hurt medical students because right, right. of the economy and stuff. But that he would probably be executed for it. Wow. I said, well, I'll never tell if they caught me about you. He said, he said, if they yeah, catch you, yeah, they'll already yeah, know about yeah. me. Right. So it won't matter. Just yeah. blame it on me. I don't care because it'll be out for me anyway. So I thought, Jesus Christ, he's really serious. What am I involved in? Here? What what am I involved in? He said, he'll be executed. <laughs> you know, so when, yeah. So when Lisa's mom came to visit her, I said, I'm going to send Angie home on that plane with you. My mother said, that's fine. I said, I don't have much yeah, longer to finish, to finish this, this class. class. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be a doctor and I'm almost there. Nobody's going to stop me. Nobody's going to, you know, no revolution yeah. coming or whatever it is. Of course, everybody else thought I was just listening too much of the uh, right. radio free radio stuff on, on the radio, listening yeah. to too much propaganda. Right. Because I didn't have anything better to do. Yeah. Right. I send my daughter home. Then the attack happens. Then the they summon me. They say they've got my passport. I go down there and I'm like, okay, where's my passport? Oh, we, we thought we had it. We don't uh, have it. And then I get interrogated. Yeah. Then I find I'm under arrest and they accuse me of being CIA. And I'm like, oh my God, Mr. Yeah. Lewis is going to die. You know, so these are police. You're being interrogated by the police. Yeah, and all I know, they keep calling this guy. I looked through my book, and I, I, I didn't get a chance to go back and read the whole thing again. But everybody's calling him the Colonel. I think I actually mm-hmm. have his name, but I, I didn't find it yet. And he starts interrogating me about, tell us, we know what you're doing. We already know, yeah. but it'll be better for you if you just tell us about it. So I mean, this goes on for a while, and so I'm thinking, okay, if they know about what I'm doing, I guess I'll just tell them I didn't know it was illegal. So I'm getting ready to tell them. And then they pop down these letters, a couple of letters I've sent to Stephen Jones. I find out right when I'm getting ready to get yeah. my friend, the businessman killed. I think I'm CIA <laughs> because I'm reporting this military information. In and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my, my friend in Oklahoma and they've intercepted my letters. Yeah. I mean, I was so close yeah. to telling them about yeah. black market money stuff. They didn't stuff. know about that. They didn't care they about that. They knew about it. Yeah. Nope, nope. This was all about, was I CIA? And then I, it was almost laughable. I'm like, are you nuts? I'm the only senior medical student on the island. Yeah. I volunteer at the casualty clinic. I, I brought my daughter <laughs> here. How could I possibly be CIA? They said, because that's the whole thing about CIA. You always people overlook the obvious. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> what books are you James reading? Bond movies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like nuts. And they're like, well, 
but we're going to let you leave the office. I already have my password. You don't have it. No, we don't have it. And next thing you know, they let me go. They said, well, we're going to, we're going to let you, you know, get things together and uh, so you can leave. So, uh, and, and we'll figure out, we'll, we'll be in touch with the government. We'll, we'll let you out of of here. You can go home. So I go back and I'm like thinking, shit, I got to get out of here. And I'm like, no, I don't have very (laughs) much longer. I'm going to finish (laughs) no matter what happens. Right. So then they cut off my phone. I got my phone. I do not get to, to mail any letters. Uh, so I send more propaganda stuff out with anybody's parents, anybody that comes to visit. I'm like, can you sneak wow. this in? But don't let it get caught. Put this in your suitcase. So now you and are working for the <laughs> 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 but, but nobody, nobody sees anything that I do until I get back. He's like, you, you want this stuff back? I'm like, yeah, to yeah, me, I'm yeah, right yeah. <laughs> you know. Wow. One of the greatest concerns for the United States after the violent coup that deposed Maurice Bishop was the presence of hundreds of American medical students on the island. St. George's University, founded in 1976, had become a popular medical school for English-speaking students. The concern of the U.S. Reagan administration was that the new hardline Marxist government would hold the students hostage to demand concessions from the United States. Fearing a repeat of the recent Iran hostage situation of 1979, President Reagan ordered a U.S. military evacuation of the medical students in Grenada, which was launched on October 25, 1983. U.S. Army Rangers faced a temporary obstacle when they discovered there were actually two separate medical school campuses, not just one. In the end, Almost 700 American and foreign military students were rescued without a single student casualty. Oh, and in the meantime, uh, we forgot about, uh, I get a letter while I'm in Grenada, and it says uh, they found this money over, I don't know, 100,000, maybe it might have been closer to 200,000. They found this money that is going to come to your daughter that uh, your ex-husband had. I'm like, Oh my God, no. And so I <laughs> said, no, we're not taking that money. That's yeah. drug money. And everybody knows by now yeah. that the cartel comes after anybody you know, your family. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. You, you've had enough trouble already. Just just converting money, you don't need more problems. Yeah. I do not. So I call, I call Stephen Jones and I said, Listen, I already wrote a letter, Stephen, and they want to give this money to Angie. He goes, well, that's wonderful. Thank goodness the asshole was giving her something. I said, no, Stephen, we can't take this money. It's drug money. Her life could be in danger. Mine, too. He's like, oh, yeah. I see what you mean. <laughs> and he said, tell them no. I said, I did. And they wrote a letter now. They've got an attorney who's going to represent my daughter for free because they think it's egregious that I oh. hate my ex-husband so bad that I would keep all this money from my daughter. Yeah, crazy. And they're not even listening to me telling them that it's drug money and we could be in danger. Yeah. They think I'm crazy. He said, well, I'll take the case, Cynthia. I said, How, can you do it? He goes, yes, she can have her own lawyer. Yeah. She doesn't have to have right. a court-appointed lawyer. I'll take the case. He said, it'll be unprecedented. Nobody goes to court <laughs> to not take money. He said, it'll be fun. <laughs> uh, you just can't. So, I'm so sorry. He, <laughs> no, it's true. So he goes to court to make, so Angie will not get the money. Okay. And so we win by losing. Yeah. And uh, so the money goes to his mother, Joanne. So anyway, I don't know how he heard it, but I got a little message from Stephen Jones later on that he said, you know, Pablo Escobar himself. Wow. Said, now that's a good mother. <laughs> so you got your Pablo Escobar admired your 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 mothering skills. I guess so. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably the <laughs> only person he's ever money. met who refused <laughs> money. It was mine. Yeah. Through all this, did you did you get your your did you finish your anatomy class? I did. Well, good for you. And guess yeah. what? They magically found my passport after all. It was at the police station. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Just in somebody's drawer, yeah, 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 and they never pressed charges, and they never—I mean, it was just like I was arrested, 
and then I was let go. I was told to leave. I didn't leave. Yeah. And nobody came to like put me back in jail or shoot me out the door or anything. They just cut off my phone. Wouldn't let me mail it. So when when did you leave? And I quit doing the money exchange. At good, that good idea. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you left Grenada after I was through with my class. Yes. Okay. And what what year is this? Like this 80... is eighty two. This is before you know they have. The invasion was 83. I mean, 82, so. 82. Yeah. I was still in touch with my friend, Jenny, my roommate. Yeah. I had brought a generator over. I, I came prepared. Wow. I, I was told they had a lot of uh, power failures uh, and things like so that. So you brought a generator. I brought you. a small generator. Yeah. Shifted into, <laughs> it had to pay a bribe yeah. to get it in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I bet. I bet. They tried to take it away from me at the airport. And I'm just yeah. like, well, I think I paid him a couple hundred dollars. Uh, no, I actually think it was only a hundred dollars, two fifties. Yeah. I think. I'm like, can we just go ahead and pay you the 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 fee, the duty fee, yeah. and have this because I needed to study. I heard the lights go off a lot. I heard that I couldn't buy one of these down here. Yeah. So yeah, you could bribe anybody with. Oh sure. The M Ms, long marble one hundreds. That seemed to be nobody had those, so I would. Okay. Anybody that came to visit anybody said, have them bring. Marble 100s and M&M's. <laughs> That's the currency. Yeah. That I'm telling you that you can get those things there and they really like those things. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It was just a, cra- a crazy thing. Yeah, it should be a movie. What a what a story. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Flashlight. do have one in the works. So, well, not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Once I make a deal, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Okay. All right. <laughs> so you leave, but you're still communicating with, with your roommate. Yes, my roommate. Yeah. And yeah. she tells me that. So you leave like uh, the summer of 82 around there? or The revolution actually happened in October. Yeah. So this is like right before that happens. Yeah. And she's telling me things are really getting bad. That was yeah. all these meetings and she's pretty sure. And, and there's martial law sometimes that yeah. all the tanks are moving, that this is just really getting kind of scary yeah because they killed uh bishop i guess it all happened right away and then that's when we we invaded yeah on october 19th they killed Maurice Bishop. and see back then we thought that general hudson austin was his friend mm-hmm. they put bernard cord in charge after uh Maurice right, bishop right right cord. yeah yeah now but then and his wife apparently was like a, yeah we thought Jenny and I, I mean, we're still in communication, and I was still involved in the politics. We thought that General Hudson Austin was on Maurice Bishop's side, but he wasn't. Uh, he orchestrated murder. Yes. Yeah. What we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. So anyway, this happens. So they're going to martial law, and all of a sudden, there's an invasion. So Jenny has now got a new roommate, Jim, and so they're coming out of the house. They decide they're going to go down to the Calabash Beach. Yeah. And they're uh, abandoned hotel down there so they go down there as soon as they get out some people they actually bombed the house we lived in the mini the maxi hibiscus oh my god yes oh my god yes i mean they could have been killed so like so they go down to calabash beach and then they're about 30 of them are hiding in the calabash hotel it's it's abandoned they're in the kitchen they're seeing tracer bullets they're doing all the stuff and it's the military is here that's what this is what's happening during the invasion and they don't know what's going on right 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 and some military people come up they say they're there to rescue them and all this and crazy yeah because when uh card took over and his people they actually took Mm -hmm. over i think the road to the medical school and they were trying to hold all those students hostage yes yeah because they knew the united states was coming in and they figured, okay, well, we'll grab the medical students, and so that was. They became sort of the what what people what the a lot of the fighting was over was to liberate those students. The ones the main ones they liberated, most of them were down at True Blue Campus, though. Yeah. See, I, you guys didn't. Yes, the where Jenny was hiding at the Calabash Hotel. Those were about thirty students, only thirty students. Yeah. Those are the ones that were. See, they didn't even seem to know about Grand Anse Campus, which was. Another oh, wow. campus. It wasn't the main true blue one. So the military didn't know about these students for a while. Yeah. I didn't realize there were students down holed up in the Calabash Hotel off of Grand Ames okay campus. They were just worried about the hostages over at True Blue Campus. They, <laughs> so, if they read your letters, they would have known. 
Yeah. They're CIA agent. They should have just asked me. Yeah. Not. Right. <laughs> right. If Stephen Jones were to forward them to the right people, he should have given it to the CIA. Yeah. So uh, they were, there was touch and go. They were in there. They were running out of food. They'd been down there a couple of days. Yeah. Before they got out, but they were the last ones to be liberated. Uh, they don't really talk about them much when you see oh, okay. the movie okay. or that's what I had heard about. about that's it. What They're talking about. about the rescue of like I think the students at True Blue Campus. Interesting. So, so you end up you come back to Oklahoma, yeah, and you do your residency in Oklahoma. Yes, yes, I do. Okay, and emergency medicine and trauma. Uh-huh. I'm now I'm living in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, yeah, and you're and you're a doctor and you've been a doctor for a long time uh-huh uh-huh and great you know, most people in emergency medicine uh don't last more than like 15 years but i've been that's a rough that's the that's a rough area to be in yeah i like it though okay and um i don't plan to retire good good for you it might i might be cutting back a little bit i only work three days yeah. a week now okay okay you know i don't know people say you retire and you die I mean, that's what I do if I yeah. didn't. Well, you have a purpose, and you're and you're helping people. I know, and I like it. And that must be very satisfying. It is. Actually, I really like what I do. I did a venture when it had a cosmetic clinic with a friend, and you know what? I still own part of it, but I quit working there. I didn't like it. I like, I don't like taking care of people. They're like, I had paid that, and I still have a wrinkle over here, you know? Right. You know, and uh, just I, it wasn't satisfying to me. Uh-huh. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be doing that. Okay. So where do you work? Actually, our group of ER doctors contracts with Kaiser Permanente out of Lancaster. Okay. We run. We we are part of helping them run an urgent care, a high level urgent care there. Okay. So it's not actually the ER, but ER doctors are. Yeah. There. Yeah, but you get ER type patients who oh, come we in. Do. All we the time. Do. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's really like, it's almost like a level three yeah. ER. I and mean, it's not officially that. It's urgent care. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's really good. It's a very high quality. Great. A lot of good Kaiser doctors and the, the ER contract doctors, they're very good too. Mm-hmm. And your son and daughter are? My son is unfortunately deceased. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It was a prescription addiction. Oh, That no. happened about 11 years ago. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh. I lost my grandson, too, during the pandemic. Oh, my God. Uh, it wasn't COVID, though. Uh, I blame COVID. Um, he, uh, you know, it's not normal for teenagers to get ripped away from college and their and their friends and their school and isolated until they can't go out of the house or anything. Yeah, no, it was a terrible time. It was it's a terrible just really, time. really, really hard. And I guess he snuck out and... Went drinking with some friends, got a DUI, didn't hurt anybody. Nobody got yeah. hurt or anything, but he was in more trouble. Yeah. And uh, he hung himself. Oh, God. It was horrible. Oh, that's awful. Oh, my God. So, uh, uh, oh, the last yeah. couple of years have been rough on uh, everybody, but I think especially young people. I think so, too. Yeah. I think so, too. It's just not normal for young people to be isolated no, like that. No, they need, they need the social element. They need their friends. Uh, they do. And it, it's, it was just awful what, what they did. It was just awful. I know. Yeah. I hope we've learned from that and don't go back to ever doing anything like I that again. I hope so. I hope so. That was really uh, very destructive. Very it, destructive it really was. on so many and levels. I worked through that whole pandemic, you know, with those in 95 masks, not enough PPE. Not, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, I tell you, yeah. sometimes you don't know if you can go on. And, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, I still have a granddaughter and a daughter yeah. that are still here. Yeah. I lost my boys, but yeah. uh, my girls. Yeah. So your daughter's doing well. My daughter's doing well. That's my great. granddaughter's in college. Oh, great. That's great. So you're still doing what you love? Yes. Uh, despite like two husbands who said, I don't want you to do this yes. and and all the sort of uh, other things that were thrown in your path in Grenada and so on and so forth and you and you pull through and you're you're helping people you're saving people it's a wonderful thing. I, I like what I do. I'm really lucky. A lot of people go to work and they don't like what they do. I actually love what I do. So that's fantastic. It keeps me young and and uh, yeah. I don't know if I'd be here if I didn't feel purposeful. Right, right. I get it. I get it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. 
It's inspiring. Thank you, Rob. Today, Cynthia is an emergency medicine physician with a focus in hospice and palliative medicine in Lancaster, California. She's affiliated with Kaiser Permanente Panorama City Medical Center. As Cynthia says, she loves what she's doing. But in order to get where she is now, she had to face many challenges, including old attitudes about women becoming doctors, a drug-running husband, a communist revolution on the island of Grenada, and accusations of being a CIA spy. As of 2021, male physicians still outnumbered female physicians in the United States in all specialties except pediatrics, child and adolescent psychiatry, obstetrics, and gynecology. And as of 2021, there were around 68,400 male family medicine general practice physicians in the U.S. compared to 50,000 women. While others were discouraged, Cynthia Mackey, with her can-do spirit, overcame old biases and much more. That's why we honor her as today's Hero Behind the Headlines. Heroes Behind Headlines. Executive producer Ralph Pizzullo. Produced and engineered by Mike Dawson. Music provided by Extreme Music. For exclusive content, please join our Patreon group at patreon.com slash heroes behind headlines.